0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Cheap Seats Chatter, the Overtime Heroics Baseball Podcast. My name is Alex Clark. I am your host today, I will, and with me as always, I would like to bring up Mac, Mathias alma and Ryan Splashpots, as we always like to start out this show. Fellas, how are we doing on this fine, fine Saturday afternoon?
1: It's cold here for some reason. It is cold and windy in Syracuse. It is only in the mid-50s, and I honestly do not know why that's possible on Father's Day weekend that is this cold. Other than that, though, I think I'm doing all right. You know, I leave Syracuse two weeks from today, so, and, you know, obviously, it's that means I'm getting closer to who, uh, being done with grad school, but, you know, we're, we're, we're hanging in there. Baseball's going well. I'm enjoying watching baseball, I feel like, this year, way more than I had the past few years, so... That's great. Uh, but yeah, we're, 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 hanging in there.
2: Um, I have a vendetta against Wrigley field and the winds of Chicago. Um, but otherwise um, there's a little nugget that the, the radio crew said today that depending on where you were sitting at Wrigley field, either you could be in a tank top and shorts in the outfield bleachers because it's really hot, or you can be in the upper deck, getting blasted by wind and in a long sleeve jacket and sweatpants so in one ballpark you have like the beach essentially and then the other ballpark you have parka weather so um that's fun it was not fun playing at Wrigley Field today but you know the Braves won the last 14 before coming to Wrigley so you take some you lose some
0: I mean, at that point, yeah, you just kind of have to. You take to go with the bet, and I've been I've been to Wrigley one time, and it was an amazing experience. Do I do I remember it being that mishmash? No, I don't. But um, I mean, if that's true, then that doesn't surprise me even one bit with the winds of Chicago. I'm doing all right though myself. It's been an interesting week at work, and now I'm just trying to. Decompress a little bit from it and what better way to decompress than talking about baseball or did I say decompress I mean stress myself out immediately and repulsively as baseball will always find a way to do that but we're actually going to talk a little bit of predictions to start out this show as when we get into the mid months of the season, especially into mid June a lot of talks start to circulate of trade candidates and players that could be on the move within the next month and a half. They don't need necessarily be trade deadline deals. And we're definitely going to talk about them more than just today, but we, I feel like right now is a good time to just kind of get a gauge about what are players that we're currently looking at right now that are, we could say the right, if like, like say the trade deadline was really soon what players do we say are guaranteed to be on the move or are are still going to be a good target later on? We each have picked up a couple of players that we want to discuss on this that we think very well could be moved and potentially maybe even where they want to be moved, where they could be moved to. But we'll save that for later. But there's a couple of players we want to immediately start out with. I'll start out with my first one here, and that is a member of the Kansas City Royals, former member of the Boston Red Sox, Andrew Benintendi. The Royals right now are very much out of basically every position right now. Um, As even in a fairly, I will still say, weak AL Central division, the Royals still have a 22 and 41 record and uh, have one of, I think they're actually tied for the worst Record right now in all of baseball. Yes, they are. They're tied with the Oakland Athletics. Hey, I'll be talking about them too a little bit later. But Andrew Benintendi has been a weird uh, hot spot for the team currently on the season. A 1.4 WAR, pretty darn slow, and a 3.03 batting average. Any, a lot of teams are always looking for more outfield depth. They're always looking for another outfield to fill up for an injury or to fill up for a lot of other a uh, lot of other needs, but. You always need three outfielders so what do you guys think about Andrew Benintendi potentially being traded away from the Royals do you think it's a guaranteed luck to happen do you guys think that it is a long shot that's going to happen what are your thoughts on Benintendi potentially getting moved
3: I think it's it's pretty likely you know the thing is Benintendi is one of those guys where I've been
1: waiting on him to have like one of those big seasons where he finally puts it all together. I know when he was coming up through the Red Sox system, I fully expected him to be, you know, a, honestly, I expected him to be a top ten, top five outfielder at some point. But really, he hasn't really had that amazing season. He had, oh, he was really good in twenty eighteen. He's pretty good in twenty seventeen when he's a twenty twenty guy. He was all right in twenty nineteen. Then these last couple of years, I mean, he was all right in twenty twenty one, but he was dreadful in the twenty twenty shortened season this year obviously he's he's come down to earth a little bit still 303 average with 368 on base i mean he's not going to hit for power he only has two homers although i i honestly saw him as more of that 2020 guy we saw in 2017 but you know he's not so he's he hasn't really hit for power this year but his walk rate is up his strikeout rate is down but also interesting is that his hard hit rate is down from last year his line drive rate is up, but so is his ground ball. rate. So obviously I don't expect him to keep hitting, you know, upwards of 300 necessarily, but I think he's a solid get for a lot of contending teams that need outfield depth. So, and he's honestly, he, he's a starter. He's a top of the order guy for almost every team, I think. So, you know, I think with the, where the Royals are and also Ben Tendi's approaching his contract year. if I'm not mistaken, he I think he does hit free agency after this year. So I think it's pretty likely he gets moved. And I wonder, depending on what team he goes to, he could try to work out an extension. But while he's only 27, the Royals are still a ways away from contending. And so I think it's pretty likely he gets moved.
2: And one thing you add with Benintendi is that defense. He was a gold glover last year, generally a very good defender, 66 percentile <clears throat> outs above average this year. And he's a smart hitter. He, you can do some small ball-y sort of things with him. Doesn't strike out a lot above average walk rate above average sprint speed. Um, I mentioned the good defense and even he's going to come down from earth, right? He's not going to maintain the 300 batting average in all likelihood, but you know, he's, above average expected Woba, above average exit velo, above average expected batting average. There's a lot of good for Benintendi. Is he like a superstar? No, but he can be a solid, I don't know, think of like a Eddie Rosario last year at the deadline when the Braves acquired him. Um, just that, get some juice, get um, <clears throat> some speed on the base pass, some speed in the outfield. He's a good defensive player. So I think he's would be valuable to a team you look at a team that needs maybe a fourth outfielder, maybe the, the Metropolitans could be in this discussion. Um, every team needs that extra outfielder. Um, and now we have a universal DH. So if you have that, let's say the Philadelphia Phillies and obviously they're weird situation there, but Hey, save a day from Schorber, save a day from Castellanos and say, Hey, you know, Ben is a good defensive player. Let's throw him in left. Right. Or, If you're the Braves pre Acuna coming back hey save Uzuna throw him in DH and uh, play Benintendi in left I think you had versatility here, and I think he's a solid left handed bat as well so platoon kind of guy if you really want to, and he's a good player.
0: And I, yeah, that I I'm kind of on the same path as both of you on that. I think that it's very likely he's going to get moved just because the Royals don't really have a whole lot to gain with having him on the roster. I don't see them really making too much of a run in the AL central. Um, and right now his value is hot. Like Mac was bringing up, you're always kind of waiting for that big put it together season. And right now it's looking like he's on a path to at least show that a little bit more. And is he going to keep it over the entire season? Probably not. But if you're the Royals right now, your mentality has to be sell. Your mentality has to be sell high. While he's got this kind of value, you've got to sell him while you got it. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. As you brought up Splash, he's got gold glove defense. He has a pretty darn solid bat on his shoulders right now at the very least is on a really good tears you said batting over 300 you talked about the batted ball rates and the hard hit rates for him i think that right now when it comes to him there's a lot of teams that could potentially go for him but really honestly it's any team that needs just an extra outfielder but also wants a little bit of stability that's one thing i'm noticing a lot more with a lot of teams is that yes you're able to put your big power guys in the outfield but you're doing that at sacrificing good defense and when a hard hit ball is out to the outfield I don't know about you but I've had plenty of times where I'm scared to watch some guys try to make a fly ball catch I don't feel that with Benintendi he feels very solid out there in the outfield so I think that any team that's looking for a little bit more against stability in the outfield would, would want to go for a Benintendi guy all right Matt you also had a guy you wanted to bring who What's another player that you think could get traded at the deadline, or at least within the next month and a half?
1: Yeah, well, I actually wanted to add one more thing about Benintendi real quick, which is that I don't see the Mets going after him just because I think the Mets have like a, a glut of outfielders, as, as shown by the amount of times Mark Canna has been out of the lineup, even though he's a 300 hitter. But the Phillies definitely, although I think it's that because of the way the Phillies outfield is configured, Benintendi might have to play a lot of center field, which I know he's more of a corner guy. So I don't know how that worked, but he's definitely a better defender than Shorber Herrera, and Castellanos, especially with Harper not being able to play the field. So I could see him, the, uh, them. I could honestly see both of the Cardinals or the Brewers maybe looking at him. And I, I could also see the Padres, because the Padres' offense hasn't been that great this year. Uh, but the guy I'm looking at, I know this m- might be less likely, but I'm going with David Bednar in Pittsburgh. You know, Bednar is on a Pirates team that is still far away from contending. Plus, he's a reliever, and relievers always get a lot in return, it feels like, especially in the modern day where the bullpens are valued so much. He's a guy this year, he has a 1.14 ERA with 11 saves, 42 strikeouts, and 31 and two-thirds innings. That's 11.9 strikeouts per nine. He's only given up two homers in those 31 two-thirds innings. Uh, he's, he's keeping the walks down. He's a 6.00 strikeout-to-walk ratio. This is a guy who finished eighth place in rookie of the year voting last year. And, I mean, he's the guy that he got for for Joe Musgrove. His walk rate is, is at a career low. His strikeout rate is at a career high. And all of his pitches, I mean, the, his, he's at the highest whiff rate of his career on all of his pitches, primarily using his fastball, but also his fastball velocity has gone up. His break has gone up on all of his pitches. So I think if you trade him to a team that's contending, they will give up a lot to get him. We've seen this in the past, with, you know, how much the Mets gave up to get Edwin Diaz, how much the Cubs gave up to get a role Chapman. I think some team is going to shell out for David Bednar.
3: And I there's a lot of, a lot of contending teams that could use a bullpen arm. And I think he's a perfect fit.
2: Bednar has been um, a lifesaver in fantasy. He had plus 15 fantasy points for me the other day. Two and ten years. eight-out
1: save. I have him too.
2: Yeah. I think I think he got the win for it, though. But regardless, he got the win slash save, got an eight-out. It's unreal what he can do. F- at one point, he was, like, accounting for, like, 70% of six-out saves or something stupid like that. And the volume as a reliever, as, like, a late-inning high-leverage guy – is just insane and he's doing it with awesome peripherals last year he was top fifth or top five percentile in expected era this year top five as well last year top six percentile in strikeout rate this year top two percent both the last two years he's been hovering around an expected WOBA of 250 top three percent last year top four percent this year expected batting average below 200 so you look at the results on the field that have been awesome, right? You have the ERA of 1.14. You have the 42 strikeouts. The whip is like Justin Verlander territory as a reliever, which is insane. But the peripherals also paint this guy as a superstar, not even like a stud, like a good but a superstar, best reliever in baseball type. He's pitching at that level right now. And it's really impressive. I would imagine he gets a haul and a half. He's only 27. Um, and... If you need it, heck, he could be your eighth and ninth inning guy. I I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but that could be just a dynamic duo, but it's the same pitcher throwing the eighth and the ninth.
0: Relievers are always going to be at a premium when it comes to the trade deadlines and when it comes to teams trying to bulk up for the second half of the season. There's a reason why baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. And relievers are really kind of the backbone of that. You can't have your starters always constantly going eight, seven, eight, nine innings. You really need to have guys to kind of take the pressure off of them. And David Bednar is one of the best in the business at that. You take a look at what you, uh, we've wanted to take a look at his stats, but you, you see that he has an ERA right now of under 1.2 in, you know, the 25 games that he's played, that's insane. 31 and two-thirds innings. The way I see this kind of guy is that, yes, you're going to pay a good haul for him. I don't think you're going to pay for him a level like, say, Diaz got with the Mets. I Do I think he's definitely worth that kind of level? Absolutely. You look at what he's got, hes he looks fantastic. What I do think, though, is I do think he's probably going to get moved. The one thing that kind of does worry me about, though, is that he's not a free agent Until 2027, all right? That's a ways away. Like, if this guy is 27 years old, he won't become a free agent until he's 32. Like, that's going to raise some eyebrows for a lot of teams. And so I think there's a very good chance he may not get moved at all. And that would be the reason why, is the Pirates are going to want a huge haul for him because of the team control. And it's about whether or not... You are a team is willing to take that risk of seeing that this guy is doing exceptionally well. He's a pretty he did pretty darn good last year. He's doing really good this year. Do you think he's going to continue on that? Relievers, a lot of time, and closers a lot of time are dime a dozen, but it's the great ones that get that paycheck. And it's the great ones that make it really work from there. Do I think a team is going to shell out a ton for him? I don't. It's not because I don't think he's good enough for it. I think it's because with that level of club control that they're going to have over him with that level of what they're going to want for, I don't think any team is going to be willing to pay that level for a reliever. And I don't think it's because of him. I don't think it's because of anything he's done. He's worth it. I 100% think he's worth it. I just don't see a team shelling out for that kind of position that's already in that playoff hunt.
3: I just I okay so I sort of get what you're saying. So there
1: is two sides of this, and I think it's this. It could go either way for Pittsburgh, but like I said, the Pirates still probably a couple years away from contending, even though they're sort of starting to see the, you know, their young prospects come up. But the issue I have is that, like you said, because Bednar is controllable right now, he's not a rental. And because of that, you know, you, you want to maximize your value on a guy. I think, you know, what's the point of having an elite closer when your team isn't winning a lot of games? That's the thing. So that's why I wouldn't be surprised if he got traded. How likely do I think it is? Probably not as likely as a guy like Benintendi or some other guys I'm thinking of, but I just think that, Hanging on to him, so the the Pirates could try to give him a contract now and lock down all of his arbitration years. On the other hand, they could try to trade him and get a haul of prospects in return. So it'll be interesting to see. Like we've been saying, though, relievers they are always they are they are always one of the most coveted trade ass, uh, trade assets in baseball, especially at the deadline. So
3: I'm I'm really curious to see what happens with him because he has really shown this year that he is an elite closer.
0: So then with that, so with all these, it looks like we're a little bit divided on it. I think, I don't think he's going to get traded because of the haul it's going to take. You guys think he will get traded. That's fine. That's why we do these conversations. All right, splash. I'd like to hear your topic right now.
2: So I've been watching the Cubs a lot recently, right? And they have a bat that they usually, place second in their order his name is willie wilson Contreras, and of course i screw him up with his brother all day wilson Contreras has been the best catcher in baseball this year bar none leads major league catchers with 12 home runs <clears throat> um, has been terrific behind the plate as well rocket launcher of an arm gets on base a lot he has been hit by uh, what 13 14 pitches so some of the on-base stuff might not be uh relevant moving forward but I heard through the grapevine uh, um, talking with Mets fans that want to bring up a certain Francisco Alvarez. And they were saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't bring up our star catching prospect middle of the year because catchers can take time to adjust. And, you know, if he's trying to catch DeGrom and Scherzer, that might not be the most valuable thing. So I'm thinking Wilson Contreras this year would be an absurdly valuable piece as a designated hitter role more than as a catcher role because you know it, it takes time for a catcher to adjust to new pitching staff. Contreras has been a lifer with the Cubs, was on the World Series roster in 2016, two-time All-Star. So my pitch here is the Chicago Cubs should trade Wilson Contreras and the team that receives Contreras should use him as a DH sort of bat. And I am looking at national league teams have struggled to get production from the DH spot have struggled to have like good at bats from that dh role and the bottom of the bottom of the board here in terms of DH war pirates 15th they're not making that trade brewers 14th giants 13th diamond or diamondbacks dodgers 12th playoff team playoff team playoff team do you think the Dodgers Giants or Brewers could swing a deal for Wilson Contreras and strengthen a spot in their lineup
0: See, overall, like, I think that's a really good idea for a lot of things on that. And the first thing that always got popped in my mind when you say those ones is Dodgers. And the reason why I say Dodgers is because they are the MLB, the show team of the stand. will find ways to make trades that make no sense whatsoever. And we'll make it so then they can, they'll just turn off the salary cap and be fine. Like, I, I don't think the Dodgers need another DH. I think they've got plenty of tools regardless. I think the Brewers could very well use another piece, but I'm going to stick with the Dodgers, not for the reason of I think that they need it. I think they're going to they're gonna stick. I'm stuck with the Dodgers because I think they're going to say they need it, not actually need it, and still go for it anyway. And honestly, with, with Contreras, I think that overall, he's still got a lot of good playing ability in him overall, not even just as a DH, but I mean, if I remember correctly, he's a... Pretty good catcher too. Am I I just wrong on that? Like,
2: no, you're right. I'm just saying that it can be hard to integrate a catcher mid season, even a catcher as good as Contreras. Um, some Yankees fans I was talking to when I was I was on a Twitter space with Mets fans and Yankees fans, and the Mets fans were like, "Hey, what do you think we should do for Alvarez?" And the Yankees fans are, said something to the effect of, "When the Yankees traded for Avon Rodriguez, like Avon Rodriguez is one of the greatest catchers ever." it just didn't work out immediately because you're learning a new pitching staff. Right. And that's, that's an adjustment. So I'm pitching a team should trade him to be their DH. If he's a great catcher, it can just be um, you might prefer like, I'm looking at Houston, right? And Houston has is lowest in uh, catcher war this season negative 1.8 for Maldonado and Castro. So, obviously, Contreras could come in and be the better, a significantly better hitter than either of those guys. But Maldonado and Castro know the pitching staff, and they know how to catch Furlander, and they know to, how to catch Valdez and Urquiti and Javier and all these guys, right? Contreras doesn't, I've, as far as I'm aware, he has never caught any of those in a competitive manner so i'm thinking you use contreras as a sort of <clears throat> multi-year thing that this year is just your dh and i would argue the mets should do this with francisco alvarez just bringing bring him up for dh purposes not for catching purposes and like uh, utilize that star power as a dh cuz he's an excellent hitter he's a 157 ops plus this season 97 percentile expected woba and use that hitting to improve your team while keeping um like your your catcher as a strong defensive defensive idea with someone that knows the staff kind of like the the old angels teams with mike napoli and jeff mathis so you could play both of them at the same time and napoli is gonna you know compensate for mathis not being able to hit anything and mathis is an all-time great defensive catcher if that makes
0: sense so here's kind of what I think about it right now is I'll, I'll say this outright and I'm sorry if I'm saying something that's truly blasphemous there, Mac. The first team, when I heard, when you I heard you bring up Wilson Contreras was Seattle. And the reason why is because Seattle has had a very interesting catching situation as of late. I'm not going to say bad. I'm going to say interesting because right now you have Tom Murphy who has been injured and continues to keep getting injured. But when he's playing, he's fantastic. The problem is, when is he playing? Next, you have Cal Raleigh, who I think is still the future of the team. I think he's the future catcher of the Seattle Mariners. He's definitely working. Defensive-wise, he's solid. And offensive-wise, he's getting there. He's definitely been improving over the last little bit. his... He's been hitting the ball a lot harder as of late, and he's been getting on base a good bit more. Also, he's been hitting nuke after nuke. So, you know, I'll give him that. But, and then on top of it, you also have a guy, Luis Torrens, who Torrens has been a very interesting guy. He's not that great of a defensive catcher, but he's pretty good as a clutch DH. But And when they need him to, to catch, you know, he, he does an all right job. Doesn't do great doesn't doesn't blow, your, blow you away, but does all right. So what would happen if you put in a Wilson Contreras there? I think that he would be able to learn that staff decently. Well, excuse me, I had to cough there. Um, I think you could learn the staff. So being a veteran, you learn a few things here and there. So I think you, if Seattle were to bring him, it, it would be an interesting situation, but it would be a rental idea. It wouldn't be a, this guy is your... It would be this is your guy that's going to lead you to the future. This would be a guy that's going to help Cal Rally learn how to be the catcher of the future. And that's why I think it could work. So there's a lot of other logistical problems that I have with them potentially coming to Seattle. I do think, though, that it's at least in the conversation.
1: Okay, so here's the... Okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but here's my thing is that who would the Mariners be giving up to get Wilson Contreras? That's the thing is that, I mean, I, I just, he's a free agent after next year. And I just personally, I'm not sure if he really like, you know, I, I don't know if I, the Mariners have, have some decent depth in their farm system, but I don't know if now's the time to try to like, I, I wouldn't say use the term, like go all in, but like, to sort of break the bank for a guy who's only going to be here through next year, probably, unless they extend him, You know, and also he's going to be, he's going to be 31 next year. It it's the, the guy, the team that I think I see, because I, I kind of to your point, uh, Alex, about the Mariners. I mean, for me with the Mets, I mean, right now the catching situation, Tomas Nito has been cash money with runners in scoring position, but really has been kind of m- not that great offensively other than that same with Patrick Mazika. Mazzica hasn't been that great offensively either James McCann who's been injured he isn't that he hasn't been great either that's the thing but at the same time Francisco Alvarez has been tearing the cover off the ball in the minors and he's probably going to be up next year heck he could be even be up later this this year the team that I think makes the most sense, and Splash, you mentioned them for a second, is the Dodgers. And the Dodgers have the depth to to give up in the minors. Plus, with Will Smith, they can use Contreras to spell Smith of some days behind the plate. And so they can basically have those two switch off at catcher and DH because the Dodgers have kind of slumped lately, you know? But I think getting a guy like Contreras – It's sort of like how they got Trey Turner last year. You know, I understand that also the Dodgers have Diego Cartaya in the minors as a future catcher, but we don't know when Cartaya is going to be available or when he's going to be ready. So I think the Dodgers for sure. And then honestly, I'd also keep my eye out for the – I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants look at him either or if, you know, I'm looking at the teams in the American League I know that the, the Yankees have had great production from Jose Trevino, so not necessarily them, but, you know, maybe a team like, like Minnesota. You know, I think Minnesota's trying to contend this year. They, their catching situation is kind of up in the air. I think that I could, see, I could see Contreras going there. Yeah, so Contreras, the thing with his defense is that he's got a good throwing arm, uh, but, the, you know, the hot commodity these days, and I know, Alex, you have your thoughts on this, but the, his pitch framing is not that great. So that's, that's my one concern with his defense. He isn't a terrible defensive catcher. It's just that he's not a great defensive catcher. So really, in my opinion, I, those three teams, I think, are the ones that should be looking at him because they're all contending. And honestly, I'd also throw San Diego in there, uh, especially because he's worked with you uh, he, Darvish before. So he, he knows a little bit of that
3: pitching staff. So those are the teams that I really see looking at Willie C.
2: Did you guys know that Wilson Contreras' nickname on baseball references is just Venezuela?
3: <clears throat>
2: what? Yeah, I don't know
1: where you're making that up from, man. Like it, that's, I'm on his serious. baseball reference page right now.
2: I'm serious. It says his Willie, Willie the Beast, or Venezuela.
1: Oh, wow. Wait, yeah, I see that. Wow. Okay, that's <laughs> That's amazing. Also, okay. it's Wilson spelled with two L's. That's an interesting one.
2: Yeah. And also, my favorite is uh, the... A way to like abbreviate or to delineate between Wilson and William um, on like, if you're watching on MLB TV. Usually it's like first initial period. So like, say, um, uh, I can't think of an example. like to say Will Smith and like Pavin Smith. Well, you get a W. Smith and a P Smith, right? With Wilson and William, William gets the WM, and Wilson gets the WN. Uh, it's like, okay
0: weird but
2: it happens
0: it happens that it does all right we each have one more person we're going to go around the horn with on players that could potentially get traded my next one that i want to bring up i I talked a little bit earlier about the oakland athletics and i mean after the dumpster dumpster fire they did in the offseason what more can they get rid of how much more pain can they put the oakland athletics fans through easy you get rid of their best pitcher Frankie Montes is my next guy that I want to bring up and the reason why I bring him up he is a starting pitcher that has a couple of years of club control left he's pitching pretty darn well this season 35, uh, 353 ERA uh, war of just under one he is arbitration eligible in 2023 I mean I think overall this this seems like a no-brainer that the Oakland Athletics would trade Montas, there's been a couple times before that they flirted around with the idea only to hold on to him. And I think though, that this year is the year that they do it right now. He's pitching at a pretty darn good clip, but they're not going to want to pay him pretty soon. They may hold on to him for one more year, but if they can get a good deal, if they can get a good deal. I don't see why they wouldn't go ahead and take Montas. on top of it. The fact that his position, much like relief pitching Starting pitching is always at a need. Starting pitch, every team will always say you can never have enough starting pitching. I think overall, there's no reason why the A's would hold on to him, except for maybe trying to get one more year out of it to then just trade him away next year. But guys, what are your thoughts on Frankie Montas?
2: Montas screams Dodgers to me. Walker Buehler is up in the air. <clears throat> Maney, Tommy John, who knows? He's on the IL right now. Uh, the Blue Jays could be interesting. Uh, they just shut down Ryu for this season. Um, there's another, there's another pitcher that just went on the IL that I'm totally blanking on. Um, but like these team Blue Jays want to win the world series. Dodgers want to win the world series. Okay. Go get a Frankie Montas who has been hot and cold this year. Um, the expected Woba chart is not trending in good directions. Um, but he does have a 91st percentile chase rate still is, has an above average expected ERA. So he's not bad by any means. He's actually underperforming his expected DRA this season. So you get a middle of the rotation arm, a very good one. And he just screams Dodgers or Blue Jays to me right now. It's funny
3: you mentioned that uh, because he was part of the Dodgers
1: organization back in 2016 he, he was part of that three-team trade that sent Todd Frazier to the White Sox, among other things. But he, he was – I mean, he was traded in the summer 2016 to acquire Rich Hill and Josh Reddick. But, you know, the, the split that kind of is alarming to me. And this isn't that surprising given the cavernous dimensions of Ricky Henderson Field. But his ERA at home is 272 in 56 in the third innings where he has 64 strikeouts and has only given up six homers on the road in 25 and a third innings, ZRA is 5.33. And he's had fewer strikeouts. His whip is higher. You know, his home run rate isn't that great either. I think he's a solid dead, but I don't think he's exactly as great as some will make him out to be. So I think, you know, 3.53 ERA overall is pretty good. Like you said, expected ERA, 3.38 is pretty good. But I, I really wonder, uh, like, what type of haul the A's can get for for him.
3: I think he has good stuff overall, and the A's just haven't really scored for him. That's why his record is 3-7. But I think of the
1: guys we've talked about, he's the most likely to get traded right now. Because, like Alex said, pitching always a necessity and the A's are not contending plus they won't want to pay him probably for almost certainly they will not want to pay him for his free agency years so what I see is yeah he gets traded honestly a team that I want to see look at him is the Mets and you know the Mets I understand that Max Scherzer is probably going to be back soon as will Jacob DeGrom but You know, I feel like you can't necessarily rely on those guys being their old selves necessarily. I'm talking more about DeGrom than Scherzer. I think Scherzer will come back and he'll look like Max Scherzer again. But I think the Mets need insurance arms. I understand maybe I'm getting a little overzealous with the idea of getting Montes, But I think the Mets give up, you know, a few prospects and maybe throw in a guy like J.D. Davis or Dom Smith. I think that they can, they can get Frankie Montes and that would solidify that rotation very well, especially with Tyler McGill
3: being out now. So I want the Mets to look at him, but there's a number of teams that could use him.
0: So overall, when it comes to Montes, like, I think that's a really good way to go about Frankie, because right now, I think that if you're the A's, you have to do it now. I think you are in an AL West that is not getting any easier the teams are really starting to ramp up and really at that point, what are you doing with it? I think overall that when it comes to Montes I think the Dodgers are a very good, likely spot for him. I actually would be down to see him go to the Mets just because I think that that could work out well for, him, especially in the ballpark of City field. So I think that it's very likely he does get traded and, um, the kind of hall I don't see him getting a huge haul though. Not quite like a hall like USA say for like a David Bednar or um some of these other guys because he is, you know, he doesn't have that club control to go along with him and doesn't have um quite the I would say the 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 ceiling of like a bednar. But I do think that you know he would command you know a couple of good uh you know, a couple decent prospects at the very least, maybe an MLB ready player. That will fit the money ball type scheme. But right now, <clears throat> I don't see him s- at least staying in O But then with that, then I believe Matt it is your turn to next for your next player on the on, the, on today's edition of the trade block.
1: So sort of continuing with my theme with my last pick, I'm going, there's a number of guys you could pick from here. But I'm going with Daniel Bard from the Rockies. Again, the Rockies are a team that they started out all right, but they were definitely falling off, uh, falling off pretty badly, honestly. But Daniel Bard, he is 36 years old. Yes, actually about to turn 37, but he looks like he's peaking right now. And this is a guy I remember when he was coming up through the Red Sox organization when he was a first-round pick out of UNC. And the the rumors about this guy was that he could throw straight heat. And then he got the yips. After the 2013 season, he did not pitch until 2020. He comes back in his age 35 season, and he becomes the Rockies' closer. And it it looks like he's regained his stuff. Last year, a bit of a rough year, but this year, a 2.05 ERA, 13 saves, 34 strikeouts in 26 in the third innings. Walks are a little high, 4.1 walks per nine. Eleven point six strikeouts per nine. That is the highest rate of his career. You I mentioned this is a guy who's turning thirty-seven in a few days, and he's averaging almost ninety-eight miles per hour on his fastball. And his his breaking stuff has been pretty good this year too. So, I I think this guy, this is a guy that some teams should be looking at, especially because he's he's putting up those numbers while pitching in Colorado, and given the state of their team, he could be their All-Star representative. So. I think Daniel Bard, while he's 37, he might not get as much in return as a guy like Bednar. Or I'm thinking also, you know, David Robertson's also a guy who's getting up there who could also get a lot of a lot in return. I think any any contending team should look at Daniel Bard and he could either be their closer. Heck, he could be their setup man. I think this is a guy that a lot of teams
3: could use.
2: Yeah, with Bard, you get the massive strikeout numbers. <clears throat> the last two years, he struck out 11 per nine. This year, 11.6 per nine. And keep in mind, he's doing this at cores. This is where breaking balls go to die. This is where fastballs go to die. A lot of his production, half of his production is at cores. So it's almost the reverse course field effect here. And, you know, move him down to C-level. And I think you're going to get one of the top five, seven closers in baseball. You can look... <clears throat> At these teams that maybe are the Phillies and say, "Hey, Corey Knebel might be better in an eighth inning role than a ninth inning role," or you, you look at these other teams like the Braves are excused, Mets are excused, Brewers are excused, Cardinals maybe, um, Dodgers are excused, uh, maybe Giants. Um, you just add another arm to that bullpen, add another you know weapon and. Daniel Bard is a weapon. He's a guy that can come into a high-leverage situation. Maybe seventh inning, your starter who just went six and a third just walked two batters in a row. You need two outs, runners on first and second. Okay, Daniel Bard strikes out the next two batters. I could see that happen 100%. And I think Bard is the kind of pitcher that could be the difference between losing in the, the first round of the playoffs in four games or losing in the LDS in four games and winning the World
0: Series. Very high praise for Barda, but I think, it, I think it's very well found. I think the number one point we need to make sure that people remember here is what you've already kind of nailed in the head. He's putting up these numbers well at Coors. Like, mind you, we've been making jokes about Coors for years <laughs> that pitchers can, will go there just to put right their own gravestones. Like, it's kind of sad to see any pitchers try to go there and succeed, trying to think they can break this sort of curse, but no, it's just, it's kind of sad watching pitchers pitch there. And yet, Daniel Bard has done exactly that. So what happens if you do move him to C level? I think there's a number of teams that could very well go for it. The two teams that I think of, I'm always going to think of Seattle because the bullpen needs help. But also, I'm also looking on one that you brought there of the Phillies. The Phillies need bullpen help like I need to get another sandwich. And I'm hungry right now. Like, that's the joke, is that they they need it desperately. So why not go for a guy that, you know what, he is a little bit older. Go for someone that, you know, is not going to be the new trend. Just go for someone that's going to be a little more reliable. And I think you're going to find that he is going to be well worth every penny of it.
3: And also, his so expected with, stats. Oh, oh, yeah,
0: my no, 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 well, please, the expected please, please. stats.
3: His expected stats and stuff are
1: also fantastic. I mean, he's got an expected ERA of 1.85. He's in the top 5% in expected batting average against, expected slugging, Woba, xWOBA, woba and X-WobaCon against, and and in a strikeout percentage. He's one of the highest in the league. So, And he's not giving up a lot of hard hits. You know, the exit velocity is pretty low. His one Achilles heel is walks, but – I mean he's he's a good get for anyone. I think uh, like you said, the Phillies, the Phillies desperately need a guy. They I mean they just removed Corey Canable from the closers role. They 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 need help big time with their bullpen. Uh, and not to not to, not to be a homer again, but the Mets, Edwin Diaz has been fantastic. Yes. The rest of the bullpen kind of makes me nervous, if I'm being honest. Adam Otavino has been better lately but that he also has days where he can't throw anything in the zone. And when he does throw it in the zone, it gets hit over the fence. So uh, Drew Smith has been good for the most part, but he's been kind of up and down lately. Uh, other guys, I mean, you know, Joelie Rodriguez and Jason Shreve have also been kind of up and down. So I know that relievers are pretty volatile in general, but I think the Mets could definitely use a guy like Bard to be sort of a setup guy for Edwin Diaz, especially with Trevor May being out. So I think, the Phillies, the Mets, and then, honestly, the Dodgers. The Do- like we, We've spoke about the Dodgers with uh, Wilson Contreras, but you, you never have enough bullpen to help. And uh, there's going to be days where Craig Kimbrell can't close. And, honestly, Kimbrell hasn't exactly
3: looked like himself this year. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't looked like himself necessarily. So I think those three teams are the teams that should be looking at Bard the most.
0: And that's a very and that's very understandable to see with it. I think that there's a ton of teams, especially looking at his age, that's something that I think is going to take a lot into a lot of consideration. That people are going to see him almost more as the budget pick, especially of everyone that we've talked about so far. And I think that that's going to be something that's going to really work out well for the team that gets him, because at that point, yes, it's a budget guy but he's going to be a guy that's really going to dominate. If you give him the chance, you're not going to have him for long. So enjoy him while you have him though. So, all right, splash the last one to bring up a person who is the one we're going to end this all off on. So we
2: are going to throw this back to Mets and Marlins legend, Luis Castillo. Oh, wrong one. Reds pitcher, Luis Castillo, a six year MLB veteran, all with the Reds, of course. Has been pretty good this season three 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 ERA a one four two ERA plus this is at Great American Ballpark AKA balls fly far here <clears throat> and I think he would be a nice get and any ballpark outside of course uh, Chase or um, Truest I think you get you're gonna get an even better version of Castillo limits the home runs doesn't walk. Too many guys, his strikeout rate is on the decline, which is a little worrisome. But I think he's a guy that could go from a, you know, a three, a mid three ERA with the Reds to like a two ERA with somewhere else. So um, he's a guy Dodgers could look at um, Cardinals. I, I don't know if the Reds really want to trade in the division. The Cardinals have tons of random dues on the farm system, in the farm system. <clears throat> uh, Mac, you mentioned if the Mets want to look at another starter, Castillo could be a get uh phillies um the braves have kind of locked down their five but um uh giants could add another arm i mentioned the dodgers you look at the american league minnesota could be in the market for a starting pitcher uh toronto could be in the market for a starting pitcher um uh boston could be in the market for a starting pitcher so you, you pitching is at a premium in baseball and castillo for his career a 124 ERA plus even last year he was a disaster for the first two or three months then was unreal after like june 1st something like that has thrown 160 innings three times in his career um has started 33 games last year he's been super super um uh durable He's uh, 2018, 31 starts, 2019, 32 starts. The COVID year was 12 for 12 in starts, 2021, 33 starts. Uh, I think he missed a couple starts this year, but the point stands, he's been very good for the Reds. The Reds have been a disaster this year. So I think trade for him and you're going to see a, uh, maybe not quite what CC Sabathia did with the Brewers in 2008, but go from good pitcher to, He's going to get some Cy Young votes if you trade for him early enough.
3: Yeah, no, I, I I, was saying that Montes is probably the most likely to get traded, but I
1: think Castillo is probably the second most likely because he was a hot commodity in the offseason. And the Reds, I mean, the the Reds have completely sold off their team other than Joey Votto this offseason, it feels like. So I think Castillo is a guy who he – so his fastball velocity is down a little bit. And strikeout rate is also down. But you got to remember, he also began the year on the IL. And he's still, you know, finding his groove, but he's doing a good job. And like you said, great, great second uh, half last year. And I think he is definitely an impact arm. He's a – honestly, he's a one or two guy most times. You know, he's a – he was an all-star in 2019, I, you know, he's he's got a bit of a low-ish arm slot that sort of adds some deception to his pitches. His changeup, which has actually been his weakest pitch this year, his changeup normally is really good. His slider's normally really good. I think he's got all the tools of being a great starter, which is interesting because he was mainly a reliever in the minors uh, through his uh, weird pattern through the minors before he got to the majors of getting traded and all that. But I think, I mean, you mentioned – The Mets and the Dodgers, obviously, those those are two teams that immediately come to your mind. Honestly, another team we've talked about, the Phillies, could probably use them. And then if I'm going over to the AL, I could see Houston maybe looking at him. Um, Or I could, you know, I know their pitching staff has been phenomenal this year, but honestly, the Yankees or the Blue Jays could both use Castillo, especially the Blue Jays after losing Ryu for the year. So –
3: yeah, I think Castillo is a, a big trade chip, and I think he can get a, a decent return.
0: Oh, no, yeah, 100%. Um, unlike you, Mac, where I thought that Castillo was probably the most common right after Montes. <laughs> and I think that, you know, Castillo is going to be that guy that is going to really help bolster. Any rotation he goes to, I'm not as high on it as you know other people are, but I that doesn't mean that he's not a great pitcher and he's not going to do pretty darn good things. I think that he's a little overvalued though, in my opinion. But that's just what I think. Um, I do think he's going to command a pretty decent chunk change, but we also have seen some very interesting moves from the Reds this year. So we may not even see them go for his true value. They may just see whatever they can get. Just to try and get get him out of there. Just to kind of really double down on this rebuild. But I do think overall, whichever there's a lot of teams that could get him, as we said. Starting pitching is a commodity right now in baseball that every team needs, at least to some degree. To, To start with my homework pick, Mariners actually could be pretty good candidates right now, as they only have what, two or three decent starting pitchers. And the guy that was supposed to be their ace right now, I think needs to be either released or sent down, and that is Marco Gonzalez. But um I think right now there's a lot of teams that need starting pitchers. I I, I hate that I like this, but I like Max pick of the Yankees too, as they could definitely use an extra starting pick just to kind of keep on this dominant trait that they're on right here. I do think there's a bunch of teams that could use a high level for it. It's about which team is going to give the best package to the Reds. And so then before we end off go to our next topic, are there any other topics that we want to bring up? Uh, any other things we want to bring up on these trade chips? Any people we missed out on? Any things else we want to talk about? Uh, the guys that we've already discussed.
2: Okay. I want a brief conversation here. <clears throat> I was listening to Braves Talk Radio today, and they said Three words I don't want to hear ever combined again: trade Dansby Swanson. Um, if Dansby were to be de- and I can see Mac's reaction on camera here, they were arguing that you're you don't want to pay him the eight-year, twenty-five million dollars a year deal. You don't want to pay him like <clears throat> a Lindor, Tatis, Correa guys like that. So recoup some value for him now. I think it's ridiculous, Mac. I that may have reaction. been the
1: worst. That's an awful take. I
2: agree. I don't,
1: I don't know who said this, but I understand at the beginning of the year, Swanson was struggling to make contact. But like he's a he's a pretty good shortstop, in my opinion. He's having the best year of his first having the best year of his career right now. I mean, what trade him? I'm I'm not saying he did okay, he does not deserve that massive contract, but he's good enough to the point where yes, I would shell out up to 20 million a year. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. maybe that's a bit of a push. Obviously, I'm not saying 25 so, million a year, but that is a ridiculous take.
0: <laughs> so let me play devil's advocate for just a second here. All right. Um, I'm not going to say that that is a, a good take, but here's what I will say. If we don't know how much they are going to command in the offseason, we do not know how much Dansby is going to ask for. And if Dansby g- comes up with a number that they can't, that the teachers cannot come up with, or does not want to come up with, especially for someone that, you know, yes, he's extremely good, but has also had some problems in there too. Then why not trade him? Why not trade him to get, to really maximize on the value that he is having in this incredible year? As we said, like with, you know, with the A's, trade high. Just' like sell high. When you have a player that is absolutely at their fantastic limit, why not give it an, uh, it's like, why not give it a go through? I will say this though right now the Braves are on an absolute tear and Dansby is one of the many, one of the main reasons for it. I would say, would you agree to that? Like just that yeah, Dansby Swanson's one. Yeah. So at this point right now, I don't trade him, but not because I don't think he's not tradeable or that he's not worth a big contract. I think you don't trade him because you are on a massive tear right now and you don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose what he has given to your team this year. If anything, if you can't come up with the money at this point, but you've already gotten to another postseason, maybe even potentially another World Series, if the Braves continue on this path, then let him walk afterwards. You know, he's done his job of what the Braves needed him to do. But, you know, I don't think the right move is to trade him. Just, and it's not because of his value. I think you don't trade him purely because of how well the Braves are doing right now.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. <clears throat> I mean, I guess you could make the argument and if the Braves weren't like in a playoff spot or if you had a contingency plan, like um, let me, I'm going to give a weird example, but like swap the value of, I don't know, Duvall and Swanson and then, oh, hey, well, Marcel, or Marcel, then Michael Harris, number one prospect, you bring him up. Okay, You now Duvall is expendable like, are you bringing up Braden Shoemake now? I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, you know, push Swanson out. Cause I know Swanson's a good shortstop. I know he's been awesome this year and you just don't know. And it was the issue last year with the Freeman deal that <clears throat> you don't have a contingency plan. And then, okay, you go out and trade for Olson. Okay. You solve the issue and Freeman can go like, what are you going to do sign a guy that's more expensive The The shortstop on the market this year is Bogarts. I guess Correa could be on the market again if he wants to be, but like, are you going to go get Bogarts, pay him more money and honestly be a worse like value piece because Swanson's going to get less money. He's a great defender. Bogarts has been a historically horrendous defender and Bogarts is a superior hitter. But like I was talking with Mac and Alex earlier that like Trey Turner has been a superior hitter to Swanson, but he's been the worst defensive shortstop in, the, in baseball. So the value there doesn't match what Dansby's bringing to Atlanta. So I thought it was ridiculous. Um, Max reaction <laughs> kind of confirmed. Yeah, this is ridiculous. So wanted to wanted to bring that up and see if I was the crazy one or if Atlanta talk radio was a crazy one.
1: Also, I wanted to bring up one other guy that I briefly mentioned, but David Robertson is another reliever that I can see getting some in return just because uh, he he's had a resurgent year after, you know, all those injuries he's dealt with. And also, I mean, while while he's 37, I mean, his his velocity is the highest it's been in a
3: few years and he's he's just overall having a great year. So that's the, the one last thing I, I want to say.
0: And that's fair enough. Yeah, like, I think that there's going to be a lot more moves and we'll definitely talk about more people as we get closer and closer to the MLB trade deadline. Again, still a month and a half away, but it's always good to at least keep these guys on the radar, especially as teams start to talk more and more about moving around some players. And now speaking of teams right now, we've talked a lot about, the Braves and the tear that they've been on, especially with that little impromptu talk about Dansby Swanson. The Braves are another piece we want to talk about as they have been on this absolute tear and it has really kind of shaped a little bit more about how we're looking at the NL East. So we're talking about all of your teams today, boys, as I look at this division now and it's very interesting. There's two teams very much at the top. The Phillies are still very much competing and the Marlins are falling. And the Nationals don't exist. But I, as, even though the Mets have this five and a half game lead over the East, it doesn't feel secure, you know? And it's purely because of all the momentum that the Braves have right now. Fellas, I want to get your guys' opinions on this, especially one being a Mets fan, one being a Braves fan. I want to hear what you guys think about this division with how tough this is going to be, especially with Atlanta having all this momentum.
2: I'm just going to say it. If you're a Mets fan, I don't think you need to be worried about the Braves. Why? Because you're going to make the playoffs regardless. And Mets fans should know this well enough. If you make the playoffs, you have a shot. And you have DeGrom coming back. You have Scherzer coming back. You have like Lindor you have Alonzo you have Marcana, you have Nemo you have all these talented players so if I'm a Mets fan right now I really don't care about the NL East because guess what deep down you probably know you're better than the Giants you probably know you're better than the Padres you probably know you can beat the Dodgers you probably know you're better than the Brewers and hey if you have a series against the Braves you have enough talented pieces you can win it I think Mets fans, some Mets fans, not all Mets fans, when you're in the comment section on, oh, the Braves have won 13 in a row, 14 in a row. When you're in the comment section complaining, oh, they faced this easy schedule. I think that's a loser mentality and that you don't trust your team. And I, look, I know the Mets haven't won a World Series in 36 years and haven't done this, haven't done that. I, who cares? This is a super talented team. You are going to have two of the best pitchers in baseball very soon. You're probably going to swing a trade for Juan Soto at this rate because Steve Cohen just has infinite money glitches everywhere. So I don't understand why Mets fans are, oh, the Braves are playing this week's schedule. Who cares? The Mets are pr- – in all likelihood going to make the playoffs. They're going to be favored in any playoff series they play unless they play the Dodgers in all likelihood. So I don't get the, the confusion here. I I don't get it. I, the Braves could come back and conceivably catch the Mets. Great. Okay. The Mets have a little bit harder road because they have to just win more games. Okay. The Mets should win those games. They're a freaking amazing team.
3: All right. So here's the thing you're talking, you know, Mets fans saying that stuff. Yes.
1: Okay. I understand that it is a tad bit unfortunate for, you know, the, the the Mets to be facing the Dodgers, Padres, Angels, and Brewers, while the Braves are facing the, I believe it was the D-backs, Rockies, Pirates, Nats, and Cubs. Then again, they've lost the last two games to the Cubs. That's the thing. But here's here's my thing. Is that after every Braves win, it, it feels, Braves fans are only tweeting about the Mets. What is it with that? Like all they want to talk about is the, the freaking Mets. Guys, the, there's one Twitter account I'm gonna, I'm gonna call these guys out right now. Sports Talk ATL. I'm sure Splash, you've seen these guys. They're only tweeting about the Mets. Guys, this guy tweets more about the Mets than Mets fans do. I don't get it. What is it? Okay. Yes. The Braves are a better team than they were at the start of the year. They're also not as great of a team as they were during that 14 game winning streak. I think they're very good. I am sort of with you slash, like I don't really, you know, I'm not as worried about the Braves as some people are, you know, I just, you know, the, okay. The Phillies also, I'm not worried about the Phillies because really the Phillies have been you know up and down really they lost they were eight games under 500 before they fired Joe Girardi like now now all right they're playing well but again they they're they're beating up all, okay what I also will say is that the Nationals are the punching bag of the National League East honestly they're the punching bag of the National League because the Reds aren't as bad as their 3-22 and start the Nationals as I was saying before the show are against the NLVs coming into today's game with the Phillies. To break it down, the Marlins are 8-1 against them. The Mets are 8-2. The Braves are 4-2. and And the Phillies are 3-0 entering their game tonight. So it's going to come down to also who can beat up on the Nationals the most and also who stay healthy. I think right now the Mets, without DeGrom and Scherzer and McGill really, have been the best team in the National League. You mentioned the Dodgers. The Mets actually played very tough against the Dodgers and split the four-game series. So that, that's my state of the National League East thing, is that the Mets have been the best team in the National League this year. The Braves are very good. But, let, t- like, call me when the Braves are within maybe two or three games, then maybe I'll start worrying.
2: Okay. I will say that Mets fans also talk about the Braves. You scroll through like at MLB stuff and all of the comments are either. Yeah. Go Braves. When it, when it's a Braves, like on their winning streak, it was either go Braves or a Mets fan screenshotting the schedule. (laughs) It's either one or the other. So I get what you're saying, but it is definitely a two way street. The Nationals are horrendous. The Marlins are fine. The Phillies are very good offensively. um, And, like, if if I'm a Mets fan in this situation, I'm not necessarily worried about the Braves. I Like, it's not that the Braves aren't a good baseball team. It's, it's just the Mets are a good baseball team. It's like, if you're, I don't know, a Chiefs fan going into the season, you're not worried about the Chargers because you think you're going to be very good, right? If you're a I don't know if you're a hockey fan and you're an abs or a lightning fan, you're not worried about the other team because you know how good your team is. So it, it can almost be like a, I don't want to say ignorant because you obviously know how good the Braves are or how good a team B is in this situation. But at a certain point, like last year in game six of the world series, like the Astros are a good team. The Braves deserve to be here. The, the Braves have gotten to this point. I'm not scared of the Astros. You've already won three of the first five games. Like at some point you have to just, you know, take the bull by the horns and win these games. And if you're just scared of the team behind you, you're going to be your own self-fulfilling prophecy that last year, it's not like, Oh, I'm scared the Mets are going to win the division and make the playoffs or Oh, I'm scared. of the-. No, it's just, I'm happy that the Braves are winning. Right. I'm happy that Solaire and Rosario and Duval and these guys are doing good things, like kind of live in the moment and say, Okay, it doesn't matter if the Braves are five up or five back; that they're a good team. But the Mets are a good team.
1: Okay, and I I, I hate that we're sort of cutting you uh uh off, Alex. But I'm, you I'm were gonna totally add fun. Thing.
0: I am loving. I am reveling in this discussion. Right? Please continue.
1: Yeah. So anyway, what I was going to say was so last year that was the thing about when the Mets were in first place for all those days is that there was this feeling that the Mets were not taking advantage of the Braves in Philly struggling. That the whole time was that, you know, eventually the the Mets luck is going to run out and they're not, you know, they're going to fall off. And what do you know, what happened? The Braves went right past them. I remember there was a brief period of time when the Phillies won eight in a row. And they take in first place. I remember uh, one of my f- good friends here is a Braves fan up in Syracuse. I told him the Braves will be in first place by Wednesday. I think it was Sunday. And the Braves were in third place at the time. What do you know? By Wednesday, the Braves were in first place. It just it happens. It's that. Like, really? I, this is something with Mets fans. And it really, really drives me insane. But they embody this thing of, like, it's always doom and gloom. Like, oh, my God. The first pitch of the game is a ball, game over, season over, holy, just cancel everything. The Mets allow a run, oh, my God, season over, they're getting swept, you know, all this nonsense. They really need to stop that. And I, I speak for everybody, it's not funny. <laughs> it's it's just, it, it, it's a tired act, really. Like, okay, I get it. Like, yes, the Mets don't have the best, you know, luck necessarily, but come on all right, this team, this is the best Mets team I've seen since 2006. Honestly, it might be the best Mets team I've ever watched. Uh, I mean, then again, the 2016 is the reason why I'm a baseball fan, really. I mean, I loved the 2016 so much. So, like, like Splash was saying, just revel in the moment. If they collapse, they collapse, whatever. But right now they are 20 games over 500 and have the best record in the National League. Please miss me with this whole thing that, every time they they lose a game
3: it's over all right
2: and it's it, it's frustrating from the other side because the Mets fans I work with with you stadium are so hot and cold like they'll like when Bassett has the good starts like okay whatever then when Bassett like allows a run in the first inning oh this guy is falling trade him for trade him for you know Luis Castillo or something it's like bro you're five games up this is there was a tweet I think it was Mark Bowman that the Mets went eight and six while the Braves were on their 14 game winning streak the Mets played above 500 baseball against good teams they did their job it just happened that the Braves went on an unsustainable 14-0 run Okay, they're still four and a half games up on the division. And then the comment section is like, oh, play better schedule. The, The Mets did their job. The Mets said, okay, we have a tough part of the schedule. Let's win some games. The Braves said, hey, we have an easy part of the schedule. Let's win some games. Both teams did what they did, right? And the Mets, if you if you asked a Mets fan heading into that 14-game stretch, they'd probably be happy with six or seven wins considering they're playing the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres and the Angels and whatnot. And if you asked a Braves fan, hey, what if we won 10 out of the next 14? I'd be happy with that. I'd be happy with nine out of 14. They won 14. So both teams uh, maybe overachieved a touch in their little stretch that – Maybe they weren't expecting to win that many games, but they did. So the Mets held up their end of the bargain. The Braves held up their end of the bargain. And in a couple of weeks, the Braves are going to be playing the Giants, the Dodgers, and all these teams. And in September, the Mets have, I think, 20 games in a row against sub-500 teams, something like that. They play the Marlins a bunch. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's it's, like, it's, it's it's just the September. Baseball.
1: Yeah, the September stretch for the Mets is basically what the Braves just went through. Because in September, I believe the Mets face – I believe they get two series with the Pirates. They face the Cubs, the Marlins. I think their only, like, tough series that month is against the Braves, if I'm not mistaken, because I know they get a series in Oakland, too against the A's. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, um, and by the way, I cannot express how glad I am the Mets are done with that let's-go stretch. And I understand Alex and I had our own discourse on that uh, last week. But um, the Mets had a 10-game road trip on the West Coast against the Dodgers, Padres, and Angels. And what do you know? The Mets went 5-5. Five and five. You know, I'm honestly, I'm fine with a 500 West Coast road trip. Also, because historically the Mets don't really play well out there. I know, especially in San Diego, which was the one series they actually lost. The Mets have only won two series at Petco Park since it opened. They are 24 and 37 all time at Petco Park. I know at least at one point the Padres had their highest winning percentage against any opponent at home against the Mets. So, like, you know, it happens. So really the NL East – Another thing I'm gonna point out is that so the Padres are now in first place in the NL West, but all of the talk has been about the NL East. All the talk is how the Mets need to worry. We gonna say anything about the Dodgers? The Dodgers literally lost first place.
2: But, okay, no, the Dodgers get a pass. Remember, they lost, they got swept by the Pirates, but that doesn't matter yes, they're the Dodgers. Yes, yeah, exactly. They have Freddie Freeman and Trey Turner and Justin Turner. And no, Justin Turner's been fine this year. He has a 69 yeah. OPS plus. Nice. Uh, well, Muncie's nice. going to be okay. Oh, he has a, a OPS plus in the What's 50s. It? 47? Man.
1: Huh? Oh, my. It's like 47, Muncy, right? Or something?
2: Yeah, something awful. But in <laughs> fairness, he has the second most walks in the NL, something like that. No.
1: Uh, he okay. Like here's Tim the thing. Yeah. Okay. So I will say like, I obviously think the Dodgers are going to be good and they're better than their record shows. But like, i feel like, why is all the panic on the Mets right now? That's my thing. But I, I, mean, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm curious to see how the, the NL East does play out because I don't know if the Mets necessarily will, you know, open up a, like a massive like 12 and a half game lead or whatever. But I think the Braves are definitely the team to watch out for in the NL East other than the Mets. Because really, the Phillies don't worry me. The Marlins are an afterthought. The Marlins are improving, don't get me wrong. But I think mm-hmm. the Braves, if there's one team to look out for in the NL East that isn't the Mets, it's definitely the Braves.
2: Yeah, and I would agree. And if you're coming at it from the other angle, if you're a Braves fan, like I, I don't want to face the Mets in the playoffs. If you face the Mets in the playoffs, I want it to be the NLCS. Um, and like I think that's a healthy thing that, the you should acknowledge the other team is good because they are good and schedule, notwithstanding, what have you, both teams are good. Both teams are likely to make the playoffs at this point. Both teams are in a playoff spot. They're above well above 500 top two spots in the division. And it's just the kind of thing that they both can't win the division because that's not how math works. That's not, not how geography works. So I think that would be a fun nationally championship series I wonder who predicted that in our preseason show that's right it was me folks I predicted Mets Braves in the NLCS um, <clears throat> and I think that's a fair prediction right now considering the Dodgers I don't know what the Dodgers are doing the Padres historically can't get it done Brewers I don't trust the rotation Cardinals I devil magic I guess but I think both the Braves and the Mets are very good teams. The Braves are probably not good enough to win 14 games in a row again, but that's, you know, that's just baseball, right? Like yesterday was, I thought the Braves outplayed the Cubs like tenfold and they lost, right? But there were games in the winning streak that if you play the, the games in Colorado, the, the Braves had never swept a four game series in Colorado before that last series. So I'm thinking I'd just be happy to win two in Colorado, right? And you won back-to-back uh, extra inning games. It's like, okay, I'm happy to win one extra inning game, let alone both of them. So you have some that some games in the winning streak that maybe the Braves, if you play that streak again, they go 13 and one or 12 and two, something like that. But then you play the Cubs game again yesterday, the wind's blowing out, or heck, the wind's blowing out today. Braves probably win both games, ironically enough. Just how baseball works. That's why it's 162 games. That's why playoff series are seven games. Well, good playoff series or seven games just baseball
0: it's just baseball indeed that was a really good discussion we had more things to plan about but i did not want to stop that discussion that was fantastic so with all that being said i'll give just kind of my own little brief thoughts on the idea but i nothing i can say that you guys obviously can't do it's like Another thing I can say that you guys haven't already touched on. I think that overall, between these two teams, these are two very much powerhouse teams that will very much be continuing to compete over the course of the marathon that is a baseball season. I think the Mets right now still are very comfortable and first, but definitely need to be watching over their backs. Yes, both teams more likely are going to make the postseason, but there is a definite charm and a definite want to be number one in the division. It gets you the pennant, gets you better placing as well for the playoffs itself. So with all that being said, is there anything else we wanted to lightly bring up before we end today's podcast? Uh
2: Dancy Swanson should be the National League starting shortstop for the All-Star game.
3: And uh, I will say that Jeff McNeil should be an All-Star because he is
1: awesome. And he's hitting 400 with runners in scoring position. So, yes, Jeff McNeil should be an all-star. Mark Canna should be an all-star. I'm going to say that too. Uh, and Edwin mm-hmm. Diaz is amazing.
0: Wow, I I just, I Edwin love, Diaz, I love that. <laughs>
1: my guy. For, also, I'd like to shout out the Brewers for giving away the game on Thursday night with Rowdy Tellez throwing a ball in the left field and Hunter Renfro for some reason trying to score the tying run on a shallow single to right. Uh don't or it was a double, but like I, I have no clue what he was doing. Uh but also Edwin Diaz Buck Show Walter goes out because he's facing Christian Yelich with Tyron on third, two outs.
3: Uh
1: and Buck Show Walter basically goes out for like five seconds. And you could tell it was just like, Do you want to face Yelich? Said yes, threw him three sliders, blew him away. I love Edwin Diaz. I just want to say that. That's um, those are my final words. I do too. <laughs>
2: I want to give a shout-out. Uh, Brad Keller has plus 23 for me in fantasy right now. Potential to get to plus 31 if the Royals hold on to the win. Uh, <clears throat> Steele got plus 11. Tyone plus 24. Sandoval, sorry, Alex, is at plus 15 right now with a quality start and a win in the balance. Alex Wood got me positive points. So I'm making a comeback in my money fantasy baseball league.
0: Uh, The two things I will say, uh, Ty France uh, should be the starting first baseman for the uh, all-star game for the American League. We talked about that last week. And uh, Julio Rodriguez is a beacon of hope for anyone in and for all of baseball. Uh, Looking at him makes uh, serotonin levels go higher in the brain. Uh, But that's going to do it. For this episode, thank you so much to Mac and Splash for coming in for today's episode. You make sure you can go follow um, Mac at Matthias underscore A underscore K. You can go follow Splash over at Mister splashman nineteen, and you can also go follow me on Twitter at The Sports Guy two four two. Make sure you also go follow the Overtime Heroics uh, Twitter account at Baseball underscore O T H. But for Mac and Splash, I've been Alex Clark. I've been your host for today's broadcast. Make sure you go and follow us on all of our social medias. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy baseball, and I hope to see you all real soon.